0: You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers, and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. This is Extended, the
1: ETOPS aviation podcast. Here's Peter Johnson.
0: We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What
1: aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Suhoi-22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm -hmm.
0: What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. (laughs) Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped. You've got leg restraints on. You're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson.
1: Also, the A400M. Got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just uh, taking me on the trip of my lifetime in a F18F Super Hornet.
0: Aviation-extended.co.uk and remember, there's no
1: E at the beginning of extended. It.
0: Extend It. The Wings Over New Zealand Show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly dc 3 Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host Dave Homewood. This episode was recorded live in front of an audience in a hangar, so the audio quality may not be up to the usual standard. The speaker is Paul McSweeney of Pioneer Aero Restorations Limited. Here's Paul.
1: welcome everybody, um, thank you very much Dave, I'm not sure how I um, how I followed Gavin, that was an outstanding sort of discussion and, uh, and some great photos there. So, um, I'm going to not talk about going to England and um, and having a good time over there, I'm going to talk about what we do at Ardmore, uh, which is not quite as romantic I suppose, I don't know. Um, and first, uh, for those that don't know me, just I'll give you a, a little bit about myself, um, I was Born in Tokaroa, raised in and around the Waikato, did all my schooling in the Waikato. And when the opportunity came up to uh, join the Air Force in 1976, I jumped with it so I could get out of the bloody fog. So uh, here I am. Um, so I was one of the first that did the, the joint fitters' course, uh, the, the, the joint training. Uh, I actually joined as an airframe mechanic. By the time I got to do my mechanics course, they had hashed them around and combined them, so we became effectively mechanical trade interesting sort of thing to do I suppose. I I didn't want to work on engines, but I was uh, was forced to. Not so bad for me, as for the avionics guys, started off with about 13 avionics trades and uh, and they all got mashed into one during 1975-76. So yeah, it was uh, a bit of change for the Air Force. The Air Force at that stage was about 6,800 to 7,000 people. Now I think we're down to about 2,800, so I hate to think uh, how they're struggling with that sort of thing now. Um, during my time in the Air Force, spent most of my time at Ahakea. I uh, went to Ahakea straight off my mechanics course because I wanted to work on jets. Um, 1970 when the Skyhawks arrived, they'd flown all around the houses, and I remember standing out on the clothesline looking at these things to go over, and thinking, that's pretty cool, but I'd, uh, I'd like to get involved with that. So went to a to work on jets, got posted straight to 42 Squad. So 42 Squad on that stage at um, Devons. Dakotas and these horrible screaming handover and things were just arriving so really dipped out there and it was actually about three years before I got to, to touch a jet but um, great formative times, times I really enjoyed, good people and uh, and that training on that, the old piston engine and stuff has, uh, has sort of stood me a good step right now. So what I ended up doing 21 years in the Air Force, uh, retired. Is the manager of the Air Pretty fast title. I'm not a man who puts paper around the desk all day and looked out the window at these Mackies that were in various states of undress around the hangar. Um, great looking aeroplane, but um, an absolute disaster for us maintenance guys. Um, shambles. Should never have bought them. Might go into that. Um, not as good. Not as good as the aeroplane I replaced that to replace like say so, <laughs> So, um, in uh, as you're probably all aware, in 2001, our uh, our elected dictator decided she didn't want an air force, and didn't want to get rid of, wanted to get rid of a strike. And about that stage, I thought I was getting old and cynical, and a good time for me to leave. So, I, when they asked for the people to, to step down, step aside, and, and take a bit of a golden handshake, I put my hand up. Uh, fortunately, was uh, one of those selected, which was, was good for me, and. Um, sat on my, my hands at a heart here for the last three months not knowing where the world was going to take me, applied for a few jobs and then this fax came across there. The back in the old days when you had faxes and things like that, I came across the desk and it said um, well, I'm looking for a guy to, to manage a hangar in Auckland and we rebuild old aeroplanes and out of the 30 of us in the room there doing a bit of post um, RNZF training and writing our CVs, I was the only one that had any interest in working on old stuff so I got the job basically, so in uh, late 2001 I turned up in this particular hangar here, uh, which did 2001, for those of you that had, had been in there, was, was like a big toy shop, uh, there was a Laoscan LA9 sitting in the corner here, and there were P40s being built and, and all that sort of stuff, and I sort of walked in and, and I was in awe of the place, it was great. and um, The opportunity to come and, and have some sort of involvement was, uh, was too much for me to resist, so, Uprooted the family and, and shipped to Auckland and, and came to work for what was then Pioneer Aero Restorations. So, um, just stepping back, the Pioneer Aero Restorations had its um, had its formation, if you like, with a company called Pacific Aircraft, which was based in East Tamaki. So, Pacific Aircraft was actually um, came about a couple of guys with uh, lots of passion, very little money, um, but the idea that they're going to build P forty. So. That opened in 1992 and in uh, 98 unfortunately they uh, they ceased trading at that stage Garth Hogan purchased the the assets of the business they didn't purchase the business itself, just the assets and carried on um, working now the, the reason Garth did that was he had a an aircraft that was pretty well half built so it was either carry on and, and build the aircraft or um, or sit on his hands and do nothing, and those of you that know, know Garth, sitting on the hands and doing nothing wasn't an option for him, so he jumped in and did that. Um, and then in 2000, the company relocated uh, into this hangar here. Now the main reason for that was East Tamaki was quite a good place to, to build stuff, but it was a really, really lousy place to want to fly stuff. So. They got to the stage where um, one aircraft in particular had to go up to Hobsonville and, and be built up there and flown up there. And so the whole workforce, instead of being in the East Kernaki, was in Hobsonville and it was a, ended up to be a bit of a shambles. So relocated here uh, in 2000. I arrived in 2001. So, like I say, um, and if anyone, anyone's got any questions as we're going through, just, um, just, just stop me. Um, once you are finished here, I'll. Uh, Go and open up next door, and we'll have a wander through, and then perhaps after that, they no, come back, and you know there may be some more questions generated from that. If anyone how your time go. So, like I say, when I first got here, the sitting in this corner here, um, amazing aeroplane. I had never even heard of Mr. Boxton until then. Walked in, didn't know what it was. looked sort of fat and dumpy and, and that, and uh, well, it really wasn't until it started flying that everyone sat up and took any notice. I think a lot of people were quite dismissive of the aircraft, didn't really want it here, couldn't see how it was ever gonna be um, any any sort of draw at an air show or anything like that. And I have to say, I think that uh, to me, one of the most impressive aircraft I've ever seen fly is the Volkswagen LA-9. And uh, plenty of power, uh, not very much size, and of course, as per you know, most of the aircraft that get flown in this country, bloody good pilots flying them as well. So that culmination made it a, a real uh, airshow performer, unfortunately we didn't see much of it here, um, but uh, that's sort of the way it goes, went to England for a year, did a bit, bit of flying in England, came back here, did some flying here, and currently it is uh, at Virginia Beach with Jerry Aiken, Jerry, Jerry bought it uh, about five, six, six, seven years ago. So that was the, the first sort of big aircraft that I was involved in, and when I say we, I, it's the, what I'm using is a royal we here, I'm, I'm the paper shuffler here, I, I don't you know, wield spanners. Um, I try and make it happen, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and what I do uh, is possible because I have a, a team of guys that are outstanding in their, in their fields. You know? um, we've got several guys, that, and, and you know, say, we've been through uh, from the staff here when I first started to the staff we have now, there's been some huge changes, but they all share a passion None of those guys work uh, have worked on these aircraft to work for us because we paid them too much. That just doesn't happen. Um, they they come to work and they work because they want to be doing what they're doing. They don't want to be in a factory in East Tamaki. And they don't want to be in an office. They want to have an outlook like this. And they want to work on the old airplanes and have that um, also have that, uh, that sort of attraction. Like with, with talking to people of a like mind, so um, it's a good place for people. Just put them on the side. Of course, um, the, the original reason for Pacific Aircraft or Pioneer Aero restorations and for Pioneer Aero was uh, to work on P-40s. And um, a couple of a couple of things is that one of the founders of the original company, Pacific Aircraft, was a guy called Charles Darby, no doubt you, you all know about. Him. And Charles had a huge passion for the P-40 and, and rightly so. Uh, he saw it as an aircraft that was hugely significant to New Zealand. An aircraft at that time that there were none flying in New Zealand and only um, about three flying in the world. Thought that was a bit of a travesty and decided he was going to do something about it. So he started building P-40s. Now the P-40 as a frontline aircraft was disposed of by the Americans quite early on in the peaks. Seen as an inferior aircraft to the newer models like the P-51s and the Corsairs. So effectively they were almost non-existent uh, anywhere else other than here in Australia where we, we seem to have lots of spare parts and lots of stuff to start with. So we started building P-40s and uh, at last count I think we built 10 and the world fleet's about 30. So effectively you know, a third of the world's fleet has been built here on Arden, So. Pretty, pretty good, um, and pretty nice to be involved in that sort of stuff. Um, just, I mean, no doubt uh, you all know the, the history of Ardmore, but you know one of the other things is that I mean, we're working on these aircraft that were built in 1940 through to 1945, 46, and we're working on them in a hangar that was of the same era, basically. And these hangars, other than the fact they now have concrete floors, I believe when they were originally built they didn't have concrete floors. Um, we've got some photos of guys working one of these hangers on a course here, and they're they're on that P.S.D. matting. So, um, pretty neat to be doing what we do in this sort of environment. You know, a World War II era airfield, World War II era hangar, and it's all it's all good. It's all part of the history. So, we get we get a bit of a buzz out of that. Um, the other thing is that these are really good hangers if you're riveting. Um, they fire firewood through the center, so they're not like a tin shed where it echoes and that. So they have some some practical applications, Um, not quite so good for storage against the wall obviously and and also um, not so good for hanger doors, you know the Achilles heel of a hanger door is opening and shutting doors. But I digress a bit then. So P40s, like I say, we we like P40s, we love P40s in fact, we build a lot of them, we think we know our stuff, Uh, we're fortunate When we started off, or when when the company started off, they obtained a set of drawings from um, the Smithsonian Institute that was uh, 92, 93. So much easier now, I can go on the net and I can have a set of drawings sent by DVD or sent by Dropbox and have them here tomorrow. So some of the stuff we do has got a lot easier. Certainly technology has uh, helped in that respect. One of the downsides is when I started here in 2001, we had a full, a big box full of P40 parts, and if we needed a part. We'd dig into this box and we'd scratch around and we'd pull something out. Now that wasn't very good, so you'd put that one aside and you'd keep digging through the box until you found a piece that was good. Problem is now the box isn't this big it's this big. There's not much in it, and all the stuff in it's been rejected before. So there are other challenges there. So as well as the well as the P40s, which I'd say we've done you know, about 10 off, and um, I think we've got. 11 and 12 sitting in the hangar over there now um, we we've had the watch didn't. Uh, we also did a yak 3 that is now flying with arthur Dobie down of wanaka and i'll put an ad in for that if anybody's interested arthur has that aircraft up for sale um, phenomenal performer that aircraft and arthur tells me if he'd have taken his yak to reno he would have beat frugia he's he's his one's much much faster so there you go that's that's his words on mine <laughs> so, um, yeah, we did the Yak-3, Yak-3, uh, as is the same with Grave cruise one, is an Allison-powered Yak, um, the, the little um, Klimov engines that they were powered with originally were, were hand grenades at the best of times, and um, really didn't stand the test of time. Some of the airframes survived, which is why we had the Yak-3, but most of the Yak-3s, or a lot of the Yak-3s, we see flying today, um, which is... Same with Arthur's Yak, it was actually a converted Yak 11, so it started off life as a, a radial engine trainer and was converted back into a Yak 3. So um, that was an interesting conversion. It's got the, the Kitty Hawk engine, the Allison v 1710 uh, and a Hamilton standard propeller. So it's a good little performer, same, same horsepower as the, as the Kitty Hawk, same power as the Kitty Hawk, but it's about two thirds the size and weight, so it really is a, a good little performing aircraft. Now, um, i just go back in, in the early, um, early 2000s when we were starting to sort of fly the first of the Kitty Hawks, there the, the was the process, the thought process worked through about how we could get another seat in the aeroplane uh, and one of the guys who were forking out you know, quite a lot of money to get these aeroplanes done were having to explain to their wives you know, once a week, once a month, whenever the bills came in where the money was going. And they thought it would be a really neat thing if they could put a seat in and at the end of it, they could at least show their wife what it was all about. Well, I don't think any of those wives ever flown in those airplanes. But we, got, we went through and we put the second seat in, which has pr- proved to be uh, fairly successful. So right in behind the pilot, there was a 40 gallon fuel tank that gets removed um, by m- making, the wing tanks now out of fibreglass instead of out of the original uh, rubber, leather, horsehair and tar and aluminium, we actually crib quite a bit of extra extra fuel into those uh, wing tanks and that makes up for the fact that we haven't got that 40 gallons behind the pilot. Um, The other thing is nowadays, of course, most of the guys flying these aeroplanes aren't in their sort of late teens, early twenties, so the bladder's the limiting factor, not the fuel generally. but yeah, we've, we've got this conversion going um, where we can put someone in behind the pilot uh, and now have, have moved on from the original one which was just a straight seat when we did uh, 3009 Ray Hanna's aircraft and we had it in here uh, as it came back from England. We retrofitted that and also put in uh, full dual control. Now, when I say full dual control, there is no no uh, no pitch control in the back and. Uh, Sorry, no mixture control on the back, and and no mag, so you can't start the engine or stop the engine from the rear. Also no brakes, so other than that, it's all in there. Now, some of the conversions have had brakes put in, and some of them have all the other bits and pieces. We have just focused on what what the client wanted, and that was basically an aircraft they could train someone else, because up until that time, your first flight in the Kitty Hawk was your first flight in the Kitty Hawk. was no one else with you so you were doing it by yourself. So we've done uh, seven of those conversions now and also provided um, the hardware for three others overseas. And um, the, the fiberglass fuel tanks that, that we make here we've provided 16 sets of those to we've used ourselves and, and provided them over, overseas without any issue. So that's quite a quite a successful thing that we've done. Now when I talk about fiberglass, stuff like that, we are generally loath to improve on the aircraft or, or change the aircraft, but some of them uh, have to be made. Uh, the fuel tanks was a good one. They were extremely complicated self-sealing tank, one of the first of the self-sealing tanks in the, in the later model of the Kitty Hawks, and were hugely thick, heavy, and uh, I hate to think how many horses we'd have to shoot and all that to uh, to get them made now. So. Probably probably not the thing to do. Um, as well as the P40s and the Lovachkin and the Yak, um, in 2009, um, myself and uh, a guy called Steve Cox, who's my business partner, had a bit of a brain fade and ended up buying the business off guard. Now, that was a really bad time to buy a business. 2009 it was the end of the global financial crisis. We didn't have any work on. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, And I still don't know why we did it, but we did. So so sometimes it doesn't pay to think about these things too much. So we we took over and we we sat in this hangar. We had leased a bit of the hangar here and and gasped along the hangar at that stage. And we just started doing a bit more maintenance and and doing other work and um, sat on our thumbs. At that stage we had, there was Steve and myself and two others, so we had four staff and we had enough work to, just to keep us going and just to tread water, which we did uh, for a few years. And then some crazy bastard decided his advice strike masters. Um, and, and unfortunately for him, fortunately for us, we got a hell of a lot more work out of that than we thought we would.
0: Uh,
1: but that was um, a really, really, really interesting time. And, and it was great to be involved in that. And thank you very much for that, Brett. Um, also, at about the same time, we had another guy come to us and said, I'm going to buy a Tempest, and uh, that sort of blew us away. We, we sat up and we took some notice when, when he said that, and so Steve jumped on an airplane, went to France, looked at the Tempest, deal was done, three months later it was here in a box, we unpacked it, we spread it out across the hangar and we looked at it, and what have you done? It's British, you know, it was, it was all foreign to us. Um, but a really neat thing to be involved in and um, yeah, we, we had the Tempest here for about 18 months and we were starting to get into it and then obviously um, Eric, the, the Tempest owner, was killed in an accident so we went from, effectively on the on the Friday we had seven people fully employed working on this Tempest, on the Monday morning we had all of us out of work so it was a, it was a bit of scrambling and um, the, the Tempest was stored here in the hangar, we did work for other people um, and uh, and Karen, I work on, on Strike Master, which was great. And then uh, finally, um, we the decision was was made by by the estate to, to sell the aircraft overseas, which uh, we at the time weren't that happy with, but didn't have uh, didn't really have any say in that. And but to be honest, from well, from the time the Tempest left, um, the the whole uh, life of Pioneer has really has been a bit of a whirl. We've we've had just work coming in the doors and work coming out our ears. Uh, initially, we did restoration only, but uh, certainly in 2009 when Steve and I took over and we didn't have a lot of restoration work on, we started doing a bit of extra maintenance. So we've um, we've done maintenance on the on the Corsair and on the Mustang, on the P40 that's, that's here, on the Stripe Masters, and then we had a, a couple of other people come to us and say, we know you guys need work, you know, how about building a Titan Mustang, so that's this little aeroplane over here that we got into. Next door when we go over into the hangar you'll see a little Bearhawk kit project, that's something that we took on in 2009, 2010 when we were a bit short of work. Um, this one you can see is, is finished, the Bearhawk, not quite so much but we're getting on with that and it's, uh, it's working, it's got some, uh, some good bits hanging off it and it's a 300 horsepower engine to go on it if we get up and go in it's minute. So that, they've been, to be honest, nice distractions for us, um, quite different, obviously, technology and, and everything to, to the Warbirds. But it's nice to be able to actually rotate the guys around, not let anyone get too comfortable, give them the, the different challenges that the different types of aircraft uh, present. Some people are, you know, very fixated in their ways and they just want to do certain things and having a range of of aircraft and a range of tasks to, to, to get people to move on to, you can stretch them and uh, and expand their thinking a bit as well. So, that uh, brings us almost up to date. Um, effectively, two and a bit years ago, we uh, we got a ring from Jerry Agan at Virginia Beach, and Jerry said, get your bum over to, to Wangaratta and have a look at some airframes I've got over there. So I went over and, and looked at a, a Tony, and looked at a Kingfisher. was expressly forbidden to look at a P-39. Um, he decided the P-39 was staying in Wangaratta. So I came back, Steve and Marty got all uh, geared up, went over to Oz, packed the Kingfisher up, arranged to have the Tony shifted. While they were over there, got a ring from Jerry said, tell him to grab the P-39 as well. So we ended up with a with a P-39, which you'll see in next door. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting airplane. Um, very very different to P-40 in in its thinking, the the way the designer thought, the way the the team building it thought, uh, but very interesting project and that will fly, um, I'll put my my head out here, that will fly uh, early next year. So you'll go over there and you go, so that's impossible, there's not enough of it together. Um, I can assure you that all the hard work's been done and um, and we're now aiming uh, to fly it Early in the early in the new year. By early in the new year, I say, oh, about September. (laughs) So, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully before then. Um, So, as well as the P39 next door, we also have two P40s that we're working away on. Uh, P40s are are being done at a reduced rate compared to the the P39, just as as the funds allow. So, the progress on them has been fairly slow, and. um, then we have the Kingfisher sitting in the wing, so effectively once we finish the P39 uh, we're hoping to jump in on the Kingfisher and and make that happen, so that's that's sort of where we're heading um, for the next year or so at least, Um, we've currently got 15 staff members and we're hoping to keep about that level, Um, these hangers are just good for about 15 people, any more than that, not too good, any less than that being on Planet Ardmore here you really struggle to uh, to pay for the place, because the, the ground lease and, and everything you pay here is, is pretty extensive. So. Um, so, I suppose that brings me to the Hornet, so I don't know if anyone's uh, keen to hear about that, but <coughs> I just wait till the helicopter That'll be next to as well, What? That'll be next year as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, what? yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, a bit like cell phones and computers, those things, I'll never catch on. pushing people out of their comfort zones earlier on this year we purchased what we think is the only viable dh 103 hornet project and some people we since then we've had people look at it and go they're nuts and, and yes we are um, but we like to do things that, that push us out of our comfort zone as well so the hornet uh, for those of you who want to take it most you know about the hornet was produced as the really at the same time as the Sea Fury aircraft like that, so the last of the big piston engine fighters before the jets come in and, and buggered all that sort of stuff for us. So, quite an impressive little aeroplane, and, and by little, I mean little, it's a uh, 46 foot wingspan, so really only five foot uh, bigger span than a Harvard. The one that we have is a Sea Hornet, so the wings fold and we'll make it into a 25 foot wingspan, which makes a a very manageable little airplane, 2,000 horsepower engine, just over two of them, so 4,000 total horsepower, mosquito climbs at a rate, max climb of mosquito 1,725 feet a minute, the Hornet's 5,000 feet a minute, so performance is, is bloody awesome. Um, the airplane itself, when you certainly when you look at it in the cockpit area, uh, reminds me more of a venom than it does of a mosquito. It's, um, the shape and the size and also the layout unusual for a British aircraft has a beautifully laid out cockpit everything tends to want to fall to hand everything seems to be where it should be so that sets it apart you know from lot of the older warbirds so we have that aircraft that's actually in storage so unfortunately I won't be able to show you that airplane today but maybe we can book um, in a, a date for later on and we can have a look at that um, so yeah, we've got it. We're, we're flat out at the stage trying to acquire parts. In, in May, when we bought the aircraft, we had the remains of the airplane and nothing else. Uh, since then, we've located and purchased all of the factory drawings for the Hornet. So, eight and a half thousand factory drawings, which are absolutely beautiful, very readable, uh, much better than, than any other old drawing I've ever seen. So that's that's a bit of a bonus. So, it went from having a whole lot of firewood now to, we think, a a really viable project. We're currently trying to track down all the other missing bits, Um, so that's probably about 8,400 and something drawings worth of parts. So um, we're going through that. Obviously a lot of the aeroplane is going to have to be uh, built from from new, and we acknowledge that, but I would hazard to say that by the time that aeroplane flies, over half the weight of that aeroplane will be original parts. So we've got undercarriage legs and engines and propellers, we think we may have to make some propellers. We're just, um, just discussing the possibility of using lightning propellers and, uh, and making some changes to them. So The Hornet, unlike the Mosquito, had counter-rotating propellers. Engines both went the same way, but extra gear was added into the, um, into the reduction gearbox. So one engine is actually three quarters an inch longer than the other. So, Bit weird but that's the way it is. Um I've, I've sort of rambled on for long enough. Um so what I'd like to do now is, is take you over next door, show you through the hangar, you can have a look at what we've got which is like I say the P39 at the front, two P40s at the back that are uh, actively been worked on. Little beer hook that's tucked in there on the side and around the other side by the by the paint booth we um, we have the uh, the Kingfisher, which is upside down in the jig so if you look at it and you can't figure out that it looks funny it's because it's sitting upside down it seems, uh, that's, that's just the way the jig, jig worked on those things so um, if you could perhaps give me a couple of minutes and i'll just go over and open up and turn some lights on and um and then perhaps feel free to trace over and then perhaps we'll come back and if you have any questions you want to ask me then we can, uh, we can get into that um, but and please please feel free while we're next door to ask me questions um, don't ask me hard ones, I, I won't know the answers and I'll look like a dick, so uh, I don't want to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to answer all the easy questions. So I'll, I'll hand it back over to Dave and, and I'll go and open up that door. Thank A couple of minutes. Thank you very much.
0: That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.